Hello, everyone. Welcome to our bonus podcast. My name is Donatas Rubanas. I'm the host of the show, and I'm joined by my colleague, Ritis Vishnauskas. Ritis, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Hello, everybody. Apologize once again for my hair. I, I saw your comments. I'm aware of that. It's not that bad, I'm, actually. I'm getting my haircut this, I, this week. I think that people are just exaggerating things. No, 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 I, I, th- I think they're really um, objective about this. And when I get these comments, I know that it's time, but not all, not always I find the time to do the haircut. So you have to suffer for today, but next week I'm going to be So it's going to be the highlight of your week, right? Fresh uh, haircut. Not really, you know, this week there's a lot of interesting stuff happening. So uh, probably my highlight of the week will be Champions League quarterfinals. But but uh, yeah, haircut is also important. I will give you my highlight of the last weekend. And it was not Paulus Jankuna's retirement game. No, it was the first time I met another guy named Donato Surbunas. And it was a funny story because like a month ago... Uh, I received a call from my previous job, 15 minutes. I left uh, 15 minutes uh, LT like year, almost a year ago. And I received a call and they said that, oh, you have a delivery. I was like, what kind of delivery? I didn't deli- I didn't buy or order anything and especially not putting the address of my previous workplace. And But they said that, oh, it's Donato Srubunas on it, so you have to take it. And I was like, okay, just send me, send me it uh, to my home. And I, I got the box. I thought that it might be from some, let's say, basketball organization becomes, because sometimes that's what they do. Sometimes your league, especially when we were the official partners, they were just sending some, let's say, nice gifts for the whole office because we were the official partners. So I thought that it, it will be something like that. I'm unboxing that delivery. And it turns out it is a kitchen and extractor hood. <laughs> Gartrukis in Lithuanian. And I'm like, I don't need anything like that. What the <laughs> hell is that? And I just called my administration again. I said that, hey, maybe you were ordering it to fix your extractor hood in your office. And they said, no, no, we don't even have it. And I was like, okay, I just put that box in the corner and I actually forgot about that. And one morning I'm getting a call and the guy on the other uh, side of the phone call is saying, hey, my name is Donato Surbonas and I'm calling you because uh, I think that you received my delivery, actually. And later I met that guy and it turns out that he worked in the same building in the same um, uh, business uh, center where we had the uh, 15 minutes uh, headquarters. <laughs> so it was a, it, he was on the second floor. I was in the fourth or fifth floor. I don't even remember now, but it, it was a funny story because probably the delivery guy thought that, you know, oh, it's Donato Surbunas from 15 minutes. So I should deliver this uh, stuff uh, to <laughs> 15 minutes office. But just to make it clear, you have no relations whatsoever with the coach Jidruna Surbunas that has been fired from no. Juventus club. No. No relationship, right. nothing at all. <laughs> nice. My highlights of last week were definitely NBA related uh, because there were some crazy NBA games with Yanis and Tetokumpo involved. The ending of the Brooklyn Nets game, also uh, 76ers. I mean, I think with these two performances, Yanis should be at least included and considered in that MVP discussion where everyone's talking about whether it's Embiid or Jokic. It's a matter of taste for somebody. Again, last night, Jokic was amazing uh, against the Lakers. Then Embiid delivers against the Cavaliers. Uh, So, yeah, my last week was 
basically more more about the NBA than about the Euroleague. But at the same time, I was very happy to see Monaco clinching the playoffs, Mike James winning in Milan, and on mm. all the other stuff that happened. And we will also have the MVP discussion. Yeah that Kate Langford uh, brought to us actually recently. But probably we have to give a shout out to Paulus Jankunas, uh, the EuroLeague legend. Uh, he he retired from the EuroLeague basketball as an all-time leader in total rebounds, defensive rebounds, games played and games started. And what a farewell game it was in Kaunas on <laughs> Sunday. Wow. I mean, Jankunas was out of the rotation in the second half because Vesda was was playing small and it would be difficult for Yankees uh, to to defend, switch, yeah. to switch. Uh, but then, as Coach Dov said, it was his assistant's idea, Toto the Sabonis' idea, but some are saying that it was actually Actu- Mantas Kalnietis' actually idea. Actually, it was An- Mantas Kalnietis' yeah. idea. He was injured, he didn't play, and he sat on the corner next to Jargiris bench and, let's say, injured players like Joffrey Laverne, Yanis Trelnik, yeah. or GM Polis Matunas. And he was actually, you know, irritated. He saw his friend, Paulus Jankunas. Actually, Kalnietis brought Jankunas to the first basketball practice when Jankunas was 11. Yeah. So he was like, okay, this is the last game of his good friend. And he spent all the second half uh, on the bench until like five minutes uh, uh, to play in the end. And he decided to approach assistant coach Toto de Sabonis. And at least what people said that quite aggressively requested to let Yankee play. Yankunas, you know, he was cold all the second half. He came in and he made a very important three-pointer to tie the game with like three minutes left. And then he started the overtime with six consecutive points, scored uh, eight points in total uh, in the overtime, scored actually 11 uh, points from that moment when he showed up. And he was huge uh, to win that game for Jalgeris, which was kind of a miracle because like... 12 seconds uh, until the end of the game, Jalgiris yeah. were down by five points. Five. Milaknis made a crazy three-pointer and then shout out to Tyler Cavanaugh. He will always be remembered in the history of Jalgiris that he was the one who in saved. the last game for Paulus Kunas who saved the game, sent it to overtime and then the, in the overtime Jalgiris won. And you know what? Jankunas, when, when, when he got on the court with five minutes left, I think, in the fourth quarter, everyone's thinking like, we're probably going to lose this game. So now they're just giving these minutes to Yankee because of respect mm-hmm. for, for for him as a captain, as a legend, 18 years in the EuroLeague or 19, 19 exactly, years. Yeah. Yeah. 18 in he Jardim's. started in 2003, yeah. So um, then he starts doing all these plays. Everything from his bag of tricks, I mean, all these classic moves. You got the dirty plays in the post. Drawing, drawing fouls, fouls anno- annoying, <laughs> annoying his opponents because of his elbows, um, fouling out players, Davidovic, Mitrovic, pick and pop freeze, fake handoff, drive to the left. <laughs> My God, it was just vintage Polish Jankunas in this one last game, one last dance. I know that the last few years of his career were kind of difficult. You could say three or four years. Ever since he, he signed the contract extension, when he was playing on a high, when Jalgiris was uh, like reaching the final ago, four. Four years ago, he made his second yearly yes, team. Yes, they went to the final four. They obviously gave him the contract extension. Then he got injuries and he declined, and he declined rapidly, mm. which was kind of sad, but he was still the captain of the team, heart and soul of the team. And to see him in this one last game doing all these things and... Basically, without his appearance, probably they would have lost the game. Mm. 
And then you hear in the post-game interview him being very calm, very professional as you expect him to be. He He's not the type of guy that wants to be in the center of attention. Yeah. He's just saying, I'm very happy for the win. At the same time, announcing that um, he's staying with Jalgiris organization after the season. He's going to work in the front office. But then he mentioned one more thing that, look, the season isn't over. We still have to win the Lithuanian League. So obviously, the very last game for Polis and Kunas will be in the Lithuanian League finals. Once again, lifting the trophy. As a captain, no offense to any Letkabelis or Ritas fans, you don't stand a chance in the final series against Jalgiris. And actually, if you look at the numbers in the Lithuanian League, he's he's still getting 10 performance <laughs> index rating in 15 minutes. Yeah, which means which means that's just my wild wild guess, wild prediction. Paulus and Kunas will finish his career by also winning the LKL Finals MVP. No way. Why not? Why yes? Why I not? I mean, I don't see him being so impactful in the final series. It's I'm LKL. It's not the Euroleague. Yeah, but still, I mean, he didn't look very well in the last games against Ritas. Uh, well, Ritas, nobody looked example. well in, in I mean, that it's last all, game. I mean, MVP of the Lithuanian competitions is like kind of, you know, uh, reserved by Edgar Slanovic. There's no <laughs> way he's you know, you don't need giving that, that reservation much. to Polisian you, do, you don't need to do that much to get it. And some people who are voting for the MVP will vote by sentiment and give it to Paulus Yankunas. This course, is just my wild prediction. Any efficient in this series, there might be the case that they will decide to I dedicate this final be. series MVP. I think he has left in the tank for one last run as he showed yesterday. And there will be plenty of motivation. You're not saving your body for anything else. You're just finishing your career with these final games and... This is just my wild prediction. Maybe it will turn out as many other predictions that I had. <laughs> For example, predicting uh, teams in the top eight. But but speaking about MVPs. Yeah. How wild <laughs> it was the prediction of Kate Langford saying Not prediction, that... prediction, statement. Yeah, it was a statement. And he Bold said there's statement. no debate. <laughs> yep. I mean, just read that Monaco is on the playoffs. That means... The natural 05 is Euroleague MVP. There's no debate. Barson is in the playoffs, or top four without Viv uh, or without Mirotic. And people don't understand that non-traditional powers don't succeed in Europe. Head tip to MJ. Well, some of his... So, so the statement. Mike James is the MVP of the, real, uh, of the Euroleague, in or, or out? Out, man. Mike James himself admits that Mirotic deserves it this yeah. year. We know that the quarterfinals still impact the MVP voting. So let's imagine that Mike James takes his team to the final four and Monaco beats, uh, I don't know, Olympiakos or, or Milan without a home court advantage. Then you have more arguments for yeah. him. And if he performs in the series the way he did during the last month, by the way, he's the MVP of, of March. Yeah, yeah, he was so, just announced. So you could start talking especially if Mirotic has a bad series once again, like last year, when Mirotic was also the MVP after the regular season yeah. in everybody's eyes, but then the quarterfinals changed the narrative and Vasa Mitic became the MVP. So right now, I don't agree with Keith Langford that Mike James is the MVP. I think Mirotic is the MVP, but I do agree with some of his yeah. arguments about the traditional powers in the EuroLeague, that Monaco, they're in the EuroLeague for the first time. Mike James silenced many doubters and critics and haters by his performance this season. Uh, people 
we're talking for the past few years that Mike James is destructive, that he's bad for the team chemistry. Uh, everybody remembers also the season in Milan, which was not good. He won the Alfonso Ford Award, but the team was not winning. And then Atari Messina came and he said, I don't need him on my team. So people are still... Um, he has that label. Yeah, people are still thinking about him as some sort of a cancer in the locker yeah, room, yeah. which he's not. He's a leader of this Monaco team. The last game they played in Milan, he was struggling, but he was making good decisions, playing for the team. And what he's doing this season, amazingly, in my opinion, is driving to the paint and kicking the ball to the perimeter to his teammates. Sometimes he gets 10, 12, or even 13 assists in a game. So all this criticism on Mike James is unfair, but at the same time, I don't think he's the MVP of the season. I mean, I don't know about the thing... Uh, how it is in the locker room, for example. Maybe some players might argue with you about him being, let's say, cancer or, or, or whatsoever. Uh, because, you know, we saw what happened with uh, Zvezdan Mitrovic once he kind of left uh, to the locker room. I think it was in the game against FS. There, then there were some arguments with uh, Mitrovic when Mike James was benched and ju just didn't play. Later, Mitrovic uh, was fired. Uh, but anyway... No matter what happened uh, inside the locker room on the court, he was he was providing. And for example, if there was the two MVP awards, uh, for example, the MVP award for the second half of the season, for sure it goes to Mike James because he, Coach Bradovic, whole Monaco team, they turned the season uh, like in eight, 180 uh, degrees. Mike James was great. Uh, he was finally delivering uh, in the crucial moments, uh, winning some important games for Monaco. His numbers were amazing. But the, f the first part of the season for him was tough. And for example, I I, I understand Keith and his uh, MVP case for Mike James. Uh, he has his own perception of who the MVP is. And that's the problem. Uh, that's the, let's say, beauty and the problem of the MVP award because there's no measurement uh, for that award. Mm. We have our own opinion what should be the MVP and for me the MVP is being very efficient and dominant uh, dominating uh, on consistent basis mm -hmm. I think the consistency tells a lot about the perfection and I cannot find anybody better than Nikola Mirotic and the way he yeah. was playing this year his numbers are just amazing I mean he's averaging 16.8 points, 5.2 rebounds, and 20 performance index rating in Just look 23 at his shooting minutes. Percentages. His shooting percentages are career higher, 67% uh, two-point shooting and 47% three-point yeah. shooting. And, and there, are, there are games where Sharas is basically saving him playing limited minutes, and he still gets his numbers in 16 minutes. I, re I remember a game in Berlin quite recently he played only like 16 minutes but he got all these numbers and in 16 he minutes. got these numbers against big teams for example real madrid 31 points Cesca 21 olympiagos 22 zenit 20 milan fener 18 fs 18 and his lowest scoring game was in istanbul against fenerbahce where he scored eight points but he made the game winner yeah so i mean there are i mean if there was not Nikola Mirotic. Maybe Mike James would be the best case for the MVP Mike award. James was the MVP of last season's first part before the conflict with Titudis. Now mm. he's the MVP of the second part of the season. <laughs> so maybe let's combine it. But, uh, well, first of all, in my opinion, regarding the MVP, it should be a regular season award. The quarterfinal 
should not affect the voting like it is in the NBA. It doesn't matter if you're uh, out in the first round of the playoffs. The regular season is what matters. This is the regular season award. For the postseason, there's the finals MVP. That's it. And in the EuroLeague, it's the final four MVP, not only the finals. So I think it's it's a regular season award, and it's not really fair to judge by the quarterfinals. But then we can approach what uh, Keith Langford said about Barca, that they would be in the top eight with or without mm-hmm. Miritich. Maybe, yes, top eight, but they're the number one seed. They're not just top eight. And another thing, uh, later on, the discussion escalated. I, I read uh, the whole thread mm. on Twitter. It was a great uh, thread. I mean, it's a it, pure it was. joy to see <laughs> Keith Langford, Tyrese Rice, Mike James, think, sometimes Jordan Theodore. I think Delaney was also Delaney, in, in I mean, that's the best uh, Twitter thread you can These read. are great guys. I love following them on Twitter. They, they look like really cool, chill personalities and at the same time, amazing basketball players. Um, but then Keith Langford said that, look, in the middle of the season when they had injuries, they signed Dante Exum, uh, former fifth draft pick, and they made him a role player. Fair enough. But his point was that Barca could replace Mirotic if he gets injured with another player. Mm. I, I'm really sorry. There's no one in the market that could actually replace Mirotic and and yeah. provide the same numbers and do the same and things. Why we the only player th- right now mm. that I see that could take the role of Mirotic in Barca and play to a similar level would be Sasha Vizenkov, mm. former Barcelona player, but then he was very young and, and it didn't work out for him in, in Barca. So, no, I don't agree that they could easily just replace Mirotic if he gets injured. I think if Mirotic got hurt for three months, Barcelona instead of the number one seed would be fourth or fifth And you cannot underestimate the fact that Barcelona played one... F- uh, not yeah, one third of the season without the main point guard Nicolaitis. Then they didn't have their main scorer Corey Higgins for two thirds of the season. I mean, these are very significant uh, losses even for the team like Barcelona. And we will all agree that Barcelona was the most consistent and most dominating team in the Euroleague in the whole yeah. competition all season long. So they deserve some praise and they deserved uh, to have Nikola Mirotic as the MVP. And another thing. Okay, they signed Antexum and made him a role player. Fair enough. Monaco, non-traditional European power, during this season signed Dwayne Bacon, a player that was averaging nine or ten points in the NBA yeah, last year. Even more than Antexum. And now he's one of their better offensive players in isolation. Sometimes he's unstoppable. So uh, I get it at Monaco, uh, they are the newcomers. But let's not pretend at the same time that this is a poor club that cannot afford good players. They signed some big names, not only Mike James uh, before the season. They signed Donatus Motiunas, they signed Will Thomas, they signed players with tons of EuroLeague experience uh, playing at the highest level. Uh, I'm giving all the credit to Mike James. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I respect him so much. I, I said on numerous occasions, he's my favorite EuroLeague player and he has been for years. I admire his skills so much. I just agree with some part of mm-hmm. Keith Langford's arguments, but with some of them, I, I really don't agree. So then there were some interesting um, comments from Tyrese Rice, yeah. I believe. He just said that at the end of the day, big time awards ain't for us, Americans probably, unless we leave no doubt at all, and we really know that. 
then people don't understand us, so they're gonna always disrespect or our value, but it always shows in time and the real no. So it's really whatever. Well, there is probably some truth to that. Uh, that Europeans uh, prefer their legendary players, European players, rather than Americans. Fun fact: the last American Euroleague MVP was Anthony Parker in two thousand and six. That's long ago. Yep. There is a lot of sense to what Tyrese Rice is mm -hmm. actually saying. I, for one, am the guy who appreciates Americans playing in Europe as much as I can. I think American players have a lot of skill, and without Americans, the EuroLeague would be boring. So I'm never the guy to put a European ahead of an American just because I prefer him more. You always have to try to look at different things, the way the team was performing, the numbers, the impact, and all that stuff. It's crazy to think that Anthony Parker was actually the last American MVP when, when for the, when was it? 2006? Six. Six. So mm. for these 16 years, we had so many amazing yeah. American players, and we, we have them right now. So I, I get what Tyrese Rice is saying, and I respect Tyrese so much because he was the underdog finals MVP, final four MVP when he led that Maccabi team. So all these guys, Keith Langford, Tyrese Rice, they've done so much in, in, in European basketball. You have to respect their opinions. You know, uh, MVP debate is interesting. Well, what would you also have in this MVP race? We we kind of mentioned our, let's say, top five players of the EuroLeague, but it doesn't mean that yeah. we were talking about this specific, uh, specific yeah. season. I have Vesely as my top five player, but yeah. he's not. He's far away from being the MVP this year. Who else I would have in the discussion? Vizenkov. Oli might finish second. It's funny how much hate we received <laughs> in comments, although we <laughs> said that it's the guy who has some material to make it to the NBA, actually. So probably it was even, let's say, better praise for the Vizenkov than putting yeah. him in top five, where we could all, all argue about uh, his selection. Mitic again somewhere near, but I would put Mike James ahead of Vasa Mitic. Actually, Monaco might even uh, finish higher than Anadolu Efes. It's unlikely, but it might happen because they have mm. uh, points uh, advantage against them. So I don't see any reason to put Vasa Mitic ahead of Mike James at the moment. Yeah, because they're so close. They're just Mike one win away from, from Efes. And if we actually add all these games against Russian teams, Monaco would be even higher. And for what Mike did, of course, it's much harder job than what, for example, uh, Vasa Misic and Shane Larkin did in FS. The very last game against the Russian team in the EuroLeague was Monaco Unix. How it ended? Monaco won. How they won? I don't remember. It was so long time ago. Who got the buzzer beater? Okay. It was <laughs> the first buzzer beater by Mike this year, actually. But still, he won an important game for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, top three for me would be definitely Mirotic, Mike James, and, and Zenkov. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. I cannot take anything from Milan because I cannot take Shawan Shields, who missed the one third of the season. And other guys, they were very similar. No, I didn't see no, any nobody from Madrid. I mean, Yabusele. Shout out to Yabusele. He was amazing this year. Um, but no, I, I I wouldn't see him in the MVP discussion just because Real Madrid started struggling ever since the Copa yeah. del Rey and, and they don't look like themselves at the moment. 
So yeah, um, nobody else. I mean, Maccabi getting to the playoffs finally is a big thing. Yeah. But they were very inconsistent during the season, and it was more about let's say team effort. Fuel. Scotty Wilbekin is great, but not MVP type not of great. Not as great as as these guys yeah, were mentioned. Yeah. Actually, so I think the list is quite short. Actually, yeah. Okay. In the NBA, you have a lot more names you could put. Not not only Embiid, Jokic, and Giannis. There are some other guys. So yeah, we have some front runners. We will see how it will change during the playoffs because, as you mentioned, as we remember last year, Mirotic choked, and then Mitic had the upper hand. Who knows uh, what kind of uh, Mirotic version we will see, what kind of crazy things either Mitic or, I don't know, um, the same with Mike James, what they will bring on the, on the table. Although I thought that, you know, this MVP race maybe is more or less clear, but what about the Coach of the Year award? I mean, we have so many interesting cases. For example, mm-hmm. Sharuna Sesikavicius handling this tough season for Barcelona, but keeping Barcelona on the top, top of everything. Then we have amazing job of Jorgos Bartzokas. Now we see Olympiagos as the second seed team. They made the top four and they were consistent all season long. They were really great. Then we have Sasha Bradovic who turned the Monaco season around and made the playoffs when they were probably as low as 12th, 13th seed, something like that. So, I mean... And we we have Trinchieri that made the playoffs for the second year in a row. Yeah, and with all these injuries, COVID, free COVID uh, outbreaks, a lot of injuries, they are still struggling with having their players back. So, I mean, we have some strong cases for this award. We do. And each one of them is unique. Yeah. And I would say, first of all, about Sasha Bradovic, I I wouldn't vote for coach of the year for somebody who who was not there for the full season. Mm Mm-hmm. He saved their season. That that's that's for sure. Uh, but I'm ruling him out. Then, if I'm thinking between Sharas and Barzokas, Barca winning the regular season is something like I said we're taking for granted. It happened last year. It happens now. They were the favorites. They but did you it. can't rule they all delivered. these circumstances they went through. They ca- you cannot. Which is why there's a strong case. Mm. But my vote goes to Barzokas. As much as I criticize him in my podcast because of the rotations rotations and underplaying Costas Lucas, when you're taking a team that was not in the playoffs for a while, you're rebuilding it completely. Before the season, not so many people actually were predicting uh, them the top eight, not even talking about the home court advantage or, or the second seat. And now you're taking this team so far, they are in the second position. They have 19 wins. They might even finish in the second. So my coach of the year in the regular season is definitely Bartzokas, but coach of the year is also affected by the quarterfinals. You still have to make it to the final four. If you don't... You know what's the biggest problem? I think that with the MVP case, everything is clear. You remember Ravasa Misic and his surprising... uh, How surprised he was when he received this award before the final four. I mean, like a night before the final four, the first game of the semifinal. I think that yearly coach of the year award is presented presented after the season, at least. After the regular season? Or after, after the, the whole, whole season? season? Yeah, for example, I see that okay. FS head coach Ataman wins uh, coach of the year, and yeah. it was on June 22nd, which makes all the, this award very problematic. I mean, 
So if we just give it to the champion, then exactly. that's, that's there's no criteria. Fair. The champion gets the coach of the year. But yeah. if Olympiakos goes to the final four, um, my vote goes to Barzokas, regardless of what, what will, what will but happen yeah, in but the, the final four. But the problem is that the title overshadows some spectacular performances by coaches. And I do not agree with it. You, you said that you would like to have this award after the regular season for yeah. the player. Again, as in the NBA, it's a regular mm. season award. But at the same time, what I hate about the NBA, the, you know, award these players after the season. And when we see these MVPs suck, like Russell Westbrook, I mean, you kind of feel bad about that award. So I kind of like that playoff might make some difference. And it you know it it might change the MVP uh, race, and there is some point at that actually because you have to prove if you are the real MVP when the game when it really matters. Mm, but then I have some problems with that. Okay, it, for example, just imagine you play a full season of eighty-two games, and you you, no, you the, are the MVP. Okay. Yeah. Then you get hurt in the playoffs and you miss the playoffs and your team loses. So what? You're not the MVP anymore. You are the MVP, but just announce the MVP after the regular season. Not uh, to make. So we're talking about timing, but yeah. we're, we're we're not talking about the yeah. In NBA, no, in big case timing. It's is a the regular problem. season award. Yeah. yeah, the timing. Okay, the timing. You can have some debates about that. Uh, I'm just saying that for Euroleague, it's not about the timing. It's mm -hmm. about the actual voting that. These are kind of uncertain awards. They are not regular season awards. And for the MVP, you count the quarterfinals, but yeah, the final the four is different. Then you yeah. have the final four MVP as a separate award, coach of the year, everything counts. So uh -huh. in this case, you're usually going to give it to the champion. They should sort <laughs> this out. And I, I actually think that EuroLeague is not promoting these individual awards enough. Mm -hmm. It's not a big deal in, in Europe, actually, about all these awards. And it's good. Winning is the most important thing. But you need to give some importance to this. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you have to make it like uh, in the NBA where some of the players uh, compare being the scoring champion of the regular season to winning a ring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For example, in EuroLeague, the Alfonso Ford Award winner is usually somebody from a losing team. Yeah. Alexis Schwed, Mike James in Milan. So scoring a lot does not mean that you're having a good season with your team. So yeah, that's all about uh, all these uh, award races, let's say. Yeah. It's going to be intriguing. Uh, anyway, so we have our clear top eight, uh, despite the fact that we will have another week and yeah. two uh, for the rest of the regular season games, but we're sure that Barcelona, Olympiacos, Real Madrid, Armani, Milan, Efes, Maccabi, Monaco, Barn will be in the playoffs. Uh, and for this episode, uh, we decided uh, to, let's say, make our own exit interviews for these teams who didn't make the playoffs. And we will pretend to be people who, I know, make decisions or who would make decisions and who would start these exit interviews. We have seven teams uh, which didn't make the playoffs. We already discussed uh, about uh, Panthnaikos and Jargis pretty much in detail what they should do, how they should rebuild for the future. So basically we have five clubs, uh, Pasconia, Alba Berlin, Zvezda, Fenerbahce and Asvel. So... Starting with Basconia, you're in the room, 
who you're inviting in in that room what what kind of changes uh, from what kind of changes you're starting your summer actually a lot still depends on how they finish the liga andesa season it's still very important for them however what we're seeing right now um still after the last game when they won um, they beat Ralgiris without Wade Baldwin, that when everyone's healthy, when everyone's back, Spahia has a decent team, and if they were healthy from the very beginning, maybe they would be there where Maccabi is at the moment. Maybe. I don't know. So this shows that there's not that much to change. They don't need some complete full rebuild. In my opinion... Uh, season is very long and very difficult when you're playing in EuroLeague and in the Spanish League. You need a deeper roster. I think you need to consider maybe investing more in your bench, in the, in the role players. Of course, this probably means that you cannot afford a star player like Wade Baldwin. Uh, but I just think you need a deeper roster because this Basconia team was really hurt by injuries. One or two players are down and already they're losing. They're playing as a not even mediocre, but one of the worst teams in, in the EuroLeague, which happened in the first months. Then they changed the coach. So the only suggestion, in my opinion, would be to have a deeper roster mm-hmm. for next season, to invest more in your role players and if everything goes okay with the Spanish league, I think Nevens Pachia yeah. should be considered. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I agree. I'm, I'm still confused. I, st- I still don't know what to do with their future. But um, if we take only the EuroLeague, I mean, I like what they did. Uh, probably they did best uh, regarding the position uh, and the situation they had. But I still need to wait for the uh, outcome of the ACB championship to see how competitive they will be. Then I would make my decision about the head coach. I was actually the most confused about this team. Uh, uh, basically, what to do with Wade Baldwin, extended him or not, uh, Nevin Spire here, but your point about making the bench deeper, which was already a problem for them last year. Um, and, you know, they looked tired from like halfway of the season. So that would be a huge, huge improvement. Of course, it all goes to the financial mm-hmm. situation of the club. But if there is any way, uh, you know, surviving this COVID era, having all these fans back, getting more t- money from ticketing, if there's any way to make this team deeper, they will, they would benefit from that. I uh, think they have sure. a really nice core with with guys like Costello, Fontecchio, Yadraitis, Wade Baldwin played really good for the past two months. But then again, if you're making your roster deeper. Uh, I don't know if Wade Baldwin is still in the picture. Maybe you need a cheaper point guard. But then, as I said, to have a more balanced roster. Mm -hmm. So it's not criticism for Wade Baldwin. It's just more about how you're building the team and where you're investing your money because the resources are limited. It's not like Basconi is a low budget, a very low budget team, but they are not one of these richest clubs. So, yeah, that's probably the only thing yeah. about them. With Alba Berlin, everything is so easy. My main job is just to... I would come to that exit interview with Israel Gonzalez with the new multi-year contract <laughs> in my hands because he's on his expiring deal with Alba. He did an amazing job. Uh, of course, they were aware, I mean, to see if Israel Gonzalez can continue what Aito did. And he proved very well that, I mean, he... he made the best of this Alba roster this season 
competing for the playoffs. I don't even remember that uh, when Aito was uh, on the bench of, of Alba Berlin. But as we heard, like last year, Israel Gonzalez was already an associate head yeah. coach. Yeah, yeah. he was, he was already, already prepared for that yeah. next step and they were uh, waiting what Aito will do. So he took over the team. He kept that, let's see, continuity of the fi uh, philosophy of uh, Alba Berlin. And they did an amazing job. I mean, we saw a lot of players progressing during the season. For example, Jalen Smith was playing, was not, uh, he was underperforming in the first half of the season. I remember I wanted him in Jarek Diskonas. And when I saw him in Alba, the way he played in the first half of the season, I was like, okay, I'm kind of glad that that guy didn't join Jarek But then he really improved and he was a very important part of this Alba late playoff push. So... A lot of players are still on, on contracts. They might make some small roster adjustments, like probably like bringing Niels Gefai back, for example, um, to make their roster deeper. But other than that, uh, I would continue with Israel Gonzalez for sure. And everything is good in Berlin, I think. There's not much to say, really. It's a, it, it was a good season for Alba. You have to continue going through that path. Um, I don't know which players will stay. I don't know if they will manage to keep like Maudelor, for example. He played his yeah, career season. He might be on an expiring contract. So his it market value increased and he might get some offers. We know that Alba Berlin is not the club that is, is willing to spend huge money on one player. Um, Luke Sigma is like the backbone of this team and he seems very loyal to Alba Berlin. I expect to see them with more or less similar roster next season, but Alba Berlin is the club that finds some gems. All the time they find interesting players, hungry players. Fontecchio, example from last season. Gedraitis, the season before. Uh, they had Grigonis. Uh, they, had, they still have Marcus Eriksson. Unfortunately, he's getting injured a lot, but when he's playing, he, he's one of the best shooters in, yeah. in, in the EuroLeague. Um, so they just have to continue with this culture. For example, they gambled with a guy like Chris Kumaje. Not every 223 centimeter guy finds his place in, in, in the EuroLeague. It's difficult. But we saw in some games that he's capable of um, having an impact. Similarly yeah. to Tavares, to Mustafa Yusuf Afal. That's, uh, again, a nice decision to try with uh, with one of these super big centers. He was not that expensive when they signed him. And I'm, I'm thinking about Taco Fall <laughs> in, in the EuroLeague. Maybe. I think we maybe even it had can a question happen. about Taco Fall, no? Maybe Somebody I don't ask know. if he, he could play in I don't the see EuroLeague. a place for him in the NBA. Yeah, of course. And in Europe... Who knows? I mean, he's 229, I think. Something like that. <laughs> he might be even more scary than Tavares. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe you need like 400k or half a million to sign him. But um, just a tendency that every team now is looking for one player like this. To have one big center that can change yeah. games. Yeah, Everybody's looking for it. Olympiakos. Asvel, they their success. Yeah, with all these tall guys. Real Madrid, Alba Berlin, Palatinaikos. Most of the teams have at least one really big center. So yeah, but to sum up, Alba Berlin, 
great season in the Euroleague. Still, there's a lot to come in, in, in the German Bundesliga. The rivalry with Bayern Munich fighting for the title and the other clubs are also competitive. So let's see what happens there. Yeah, my, my, my quick recommendation, Yorgos Kirakidis, our colleague from basketnews.com, had an interview with Israel Gonzalez like two weeks ago. The bubble of happiness, Israel Gonzalez opens up on Alba Berlin's unique case. So... Um, Shout out to Yorgos and his job, and I recommend to read this interview to get to know both uh, Israel Gonzalez and Alba Berlin uh, better. So the next team in the standings, uh, we have Cervena Zvezda Belgrade, and their case is interesting because they don't have a guaranteed spot in the EuroLeague for the next season. They might earn it through Aba Liga if they will become uh, champions, uh, and it's it's hard to make any exit interview when you don't know in which tournament, mm-hmm. tournament you will play. And that's the case when it takes, you know, uh, Nikola Kalinic and, and his future in the club. For sure, he's the cornerstone uh, of that club. Zvezda would love to keep him in the team. And I think that uh, um, Nikola Kalinic really delivered this season as the leader of, of, of this group. They were very competitive. They, were, they almost made the playoffs. Uh, they just fall apart and uh, these last away games either it was Alba Berlin even, even you know Jargris Kolnas Bayern Munich it was not competitive uh, team at all uh, which which we saw so it's it's tough case with Zvezda no but let's let's just focus like it's an exit interview and you're preparing this team for next season's EuroLeague we don't know what's going to happen but let's pretend uh, so first of all I don't think it was a bad season for them the feeling right now is disappointment because after winning two games at home against Real Madrid and Maccabi, the playoff dream was real. The playoff chase was real. And I was one of the people that actually predicted to them the top eight. But again, the inability to win games on the road, inability to perform on the road cost them. I think they got nine wins at home this year, this season and, and only two wins away. Obviously, it's ins- insufficient. I think there were more wins, but these wins are better than Russian So clubs, I'm just focusing on the results that actually counted. Mm. So, I mean, it's insufficient to only win at home. You need to take some road games if you want to be in the top eight. Um, the, f- the way they finished the regular season was obviously a disappointment, but the season as a whole was at least decent. Yeah, uh, they were very competitive at home. Everybody had problems playing uh, with them. However... It is modern basketball, and they were the worst three-point shooting team in the league. And you need to address this when when you're building your roster for next season. I think you need more shooters. Uh, it's good to have tall players, physical to, players, to physical players to play with with the lineup where you have like four forwards that can switch everything, like Davidovac, Kalinic. Um, there's Dobrich at the second position and Mitrovic at at, at fifth. Sometimes even Davidovac moves to the fifth position. It's good. It's a great idea for defense. But you need shooters. You need people to spread the floor. Yesterday they were hitting shots in the second half. But these were players that usually other teams risk on them. Like Markovic, Aaron White. They're not consistent shooters. So Cervenas Vazdov was the worst three-point shooting team in the EuroLeague. If you want to improve, this is the area for improvement in my eyes. Um but again, we don't know if they will be in the EuroLeague or not next season. Yeah, um, I think that uh, they should keep 
a lot of players of this roster because, for example, Austin Hollins, he really improved throughout the season. Uh, he started delivering probably um, since the Serbian Cup final. He was very, very crucial in that game against Partizan. And the last few weeks before he got injured, he was really important for that team. They were unlucky with Aaron White and his injury before the season because, you know, it kind of... Uh, it's not kind of, it put him out of the rhythm and later, later on, it was not so easy for him to adjust in this team. And from the day one, they were not clear with the center position. You remember, they had to sign Mike Zirbes. Uh, they were not so good with just uh, Ognjan Kuzmich alone at this, uh, at this position. They were, it seemed like they were always looking for a center. I even heard that uh, Matthias Lazort was really close to sign with, with them um, before the deadline of EuroLeague signings. So they should be more clear just before the season with one of the key positions and a more mobile center you mean probably yeah of course not not probably but obviously in this case mitrovic playing the center position i want some safe, higher level s- center, save them but I get, I, I get what I like you're, I get what you're saying i get what you're saying yeah you're just starting games with kuzmich but then you need a more mobile center do you keep nate walters as your main point oh. guard I think he was decent. I, th- I think he was good. I cannot expect a lot. As a playmaker, better. he was good. He has yeah. a very nice floater. He was consistent. Yeah, he was again. He was important when they won the Serbian Cup uh, as well. So but another player that's not They're not, not o- that consistent shooting, shooting freeze. Yeah, yeah. This is the only problem, basically, in my eyes. Um, I know you will not have a perfect team with limited budget, but it is possible to have. Uh, better shooting team than it was this year. But again, they ended with 11 wins. And only the inability to win on the road caused them the playoffs. They were really close. Two wins against the German clubs, and they are in. But Of course, in, let's say, normal circumstances, they were not racing for the playoffs, of probably. Co- but well, now we have to kind of adjust we're ruling to this out new reality. These, these Russian yeah. clubs, and I, I, I really hope we're ruling out these clubs for good, not only for this season, yeah. uh, but uh, under these circumstances, really the top eight was very, 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 very close. They just needed to win against the they German just needed teams. needed to win some away games. That's Just it. the two wins against the German teams. Yeah, yeah. And then maybe finishing uh, against Ralgiris with a win and, and you're in. Yeah. But yeah, the next case, <coughs> I think, is the most interesting, Fenerbahce. Because Okay, now they still have three games to play. Oh my god, but they have nine wins. Can you imagine the mentality going into these games? The motivation for the players? That Maccabi game on April 13th. Yeah. Who would they will play? Maybe they will play Ergi Terpansi, Ekrem Sansakli, Smail Karabilen. Probably because what's the purpose? They were dead even in the last two games. I cannot imagine how will they perform in these upcoming free games. But that's very difficult situation because it's hard. For example, uh, a lot of people are criticizing Sasha Georgievich for not making the playoffs. I, I think generally speaking for this Fenerbahce team, that kind of budget with all these players, not making the playoffs is kind of disaster. I mean, that's a huge failure for, for them. But at the same time, they were in a very bad situation because of these Russian clubs. They got four wins taken away from them. And if we count uh, these wins 
they're still in the playoff mix. I mean, from eight to eleven seed. But it seemed like they gave up after this decision. I actually had faith that they can still make a run. Yeah, we both believe uh, that they will make the playoffs. Mo- actually, Monaco was also hurt by the decision. Yeah. What they did, they showed they kicked asses against they best teams asses. like they, FS Olympia. They only lost against Barca. They beat everybody else. FS Oli, Basconia, Milan away. And Fenerbahce, they, it seemed like they gave up already after the decision was made in the EuroLeague's uh, front office. There was no no more spirit, nothing. Uh, even though the players are there, uh, they played, for example, in, in Barcelona without the Colo, but Vesely was there, Gudric was there, and they were not competitive at all. So it was really disappointing to see and it's really depressing to see that they still have three more games left. But the question is, what should they do for the next season? <laughs> it all starts with the GM, Mauricio Gerardini. There are a lot of talks that he might leave the club. So we d- we're we not even sure who will start that exit interview. Then we have Sasha Georgievich. And as I've understood, he had three-year contract, but it's not guaranteed for the next two seasons. And I think that a lot of... Um, a lot of now depends on how he will finish the Turkish championship because at least what I've heard, there might be an option that if he wins the Turkish championship, it it locks. I mean, his contract locks for the next year, uh, guaranteed. Probably the same was with the EuroLeague playoffs or the Final Four. I'm not sure about that, but that's what I'm hearing from, from my sources. But anyway, we have uncertain situation with the head coach. We have a lot of uncertainties with the main players, Decolo, uh, Vesely, they're on an expiring deal. So we might face the huge rebuild and we are not even sure who will start it, who will who will make it. Even if Gerardini stays, what you would do with Sasha Georgievich, for example, because, okay, the team gave up, they didn't make the playoffs, but at the same time, this was not the team of Sasha Georgievich. <coughs> I mean, he joined the club when all the players were signed. So it's very hard to point fingers and to find one one problem, uh, one uh, guy who you should blame for what happened. Uh, yeah, it's a difficult one, but um, you heard my take in, in our Q&A session. In my picture, for Fenerbahce, there's a certain coach to this and uh, rebuilding the roster. I'm doing everything that it takes to keep Jan Vesely. But then I don't like the idea of Vesely playing the fourth position. I don't like these big lineups with Booker sometimes taking the fourth position. They have so many bigs, Jahai Floyd, Devin Booker, Duverio Oglu was there. Then Vesely is playing as a power forward. Yeah. You still have Akira offensively. In my rebuild, Vesely is a clear number five. He's my main center. And then I'm moving all, building building the team, replacing some of the players that didn't deliver, like Mariel Sheak, for example. Um, they need some shooters, but you should keep Marco Gudrich, for example. Yeah, of course. I don't know about the Colo, to be honest. He's great. <laughs> I need some fresh legs in this core. Yes, because if you that, already have Vesely I mean. and you want to extend the colo... That's what I mean. I mean, it's... Pierre Henry's season was also with a lot of up and downs. Uh, I don't know his contract situation. It's one plus one, but I, I would keep Henry because he had all these injury problems. He didn't have healthy uh, teammates all season log, long. So I would give him give him another shot. But I would start with Coach Itudis, having conversations with him by hiring Coach Itudis and then allowing him 
to have his say. Does he want Pierre Henry? Does he want yeah, of course. this player of course. and that player? And we could build a team together with a very strong head coach. Uh, I think Tudis has proven that he can bring these elite teams success. Everything depends on the budget. I don't know if Fenerbahce will have a lower budget next next season. I don't know their e- economics, but if if they're capable of keeping Jan Vesely, they should invest money and keep Jan Vesely. I would keep him always on a smart contract, I would say, because he was one of the best paid players in the EuroLeague, something close to be around 2.5 million euros. I think it's it's just too much for the guy who missed almost the all second half of the season and then they didn't make the playoffs. I, I mean, we can remember that two or three years ago he couldn't play in the pl- uh, Final Four, for example. So it's a big luxury to have player with the injury history like that. Although I agree, uh, I, I would see him as your main center, but just on a smart contract. But it won't be easy because there are all these talks about some other potential destinations, teams like Barcelona or Olympia, uh, not Olympiacos, Milan, for example, who could accommodate uh, him in, in these mm-hmm. teams. So it players like that are really difficult to replace. But then again, if you lose one of the best centers, you rebuild your team in a different way. You cannot sign a player that is as good as Jan Vesely, but unless you it's might, Brandon Davis, for example, but you might that's a yeah, good replacement. Brandon Davis would be a good replacement, but you might be strong, stronger in other positions. Like getting, yeah, not, a, getting need, a better small forward. You need great score next to Peria Henry, and we're talking about top-level yeah. uh, players. I like Goodrich as my, let's say, small forward. I would love to see that lineup with Henry, Goodrich, and oh, some Goodrich other guys. Goodrich stays. Pierre, if, I, w- I would even keep Dachon Pierre. I of can course. play Goodrich as a shooting guard, Pierre as a, as a small forward. Uh, these guys can switch. These guys are staying. I am actually also keeping Akila Polonara. He, he's a good option. But my idea is to play with more mobile bigs. Mm. These big lineups, they don't really work as they did Maybe 15 or 20 Jelko, years yeah. ago. When when I see a lineup with Jahai Floyd and Devin Booker, I cannot imagine any good spacing on offense with, with this lineup. Okay, so a lot of decisions to be made from Fener, and I agree with you. If there's a coach, such an elite coach like Itudis or Xavi Pascal on the markets, I would go for it. If not, probably I would give another chance for for Sasha Georgievich to make some moves to work in normal yeah. circumstances. Yeah, to make some moves in the summer and, and to make sign, his own team, sign some, sign some players. It's not that not a bad idea. I don't know if if the fans are against it or not. I don't think Sasha Georgievich won the hearts of of, of the Fenerbahce uh, fans. They were booing him at first. Then they kind of fall in love with him because what he did with this team without Vesel and Decolo. But you know. All these fans, they're always so emotional about everything. So they're going, you know, up and down all the time with their love. Villarban, uh, as well Villarban, the last team uh, we will have the exit interview. Uh, it's a very easy one. Tell me. It's a very easy exit interview. More minutes next season to Victor Vembanyama. And building the team around him, let's say. Your priority is the development of this young player. So you're doing everything that he feels comfortable and he is in the best position. You will be replacing Elio Kobo. Let's be real. I, I cannot imagine There's Elio no Kobo way. staying in Asphalt. They don't Chris have the Jones money. The same. They don't he have the money. So you will need to sign some players, American players. Um, I like that they are trying to have experienced veterans alongside these youngsters. 
they like, would lie to Gavudi, James Gist. Yeah. Dio, the French guys that beat the Lithuanian team in the European final 2013. Um, you need experience. Experienced players help the younger players to grow. So this Asphalt team is kind of interesting because they're not so focused on winning, finishing higher in the standings, 10th, 11th, or 12th. They measure their success by the development of the young potential NBA draft picks. And Victor Vembanyama is the priority, and next season is very important for him. This is what Asphalt is focusing on. So my exit and interview is just simple. It's just like, T.G. Parker is the right man to lead this project. It's very obvious. Mbanyama needs to play more minutes next season. We want to see him, how he develops. And just try and sign some bit players to replace Jones and Okobo. There's a very small possibility that you will get adequate replacements for Chris Jones and Eli Okobo with the money that yeah. you have. But still, you will have to sign somebody. Yeah. I agree. My exit interview would be the same. I have T.G. Parker, Tony Parker, Vembanyama. We're just discussing what kind of guards you would like to have, what kind of team we're building around you to make you feel good, to use all your strengths and trying to make this team as competitive as possible. Let's say just to make any push to be competitive or to be around the playoff race. Let's say that's the maximum what you can expect from, from Asphalt. They were doing a great job in the first half of the season. Then they, they decreased. They had a lot of injury pro problems. Okobo got injured. He got out of his rhythm. He was scouted, let's say. So uh, it was it was not very successful second part of the season for them. But you cannot you cannot ask much uh, from this club. So going uh, to the end, we have these eight teams. We still have some games. For example, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of motivation Bayern Munich will have playing three games in five days, all three games on the road uh, against uh, Fenerbahce, FS and Real Madrid. I think there's plenty of motivation. I mean, they, they, they've clinched the playoffs, but it obviously don't want to face Barca. Mm. So it, it will be tough. But there's still a chance for yeah. you to at least finish seventh. So these three games are still important, even though you're in the playoffs. Everybody understands that Barcelona is the worst opponent you can get in a best-of-five series right now. Because Real Madrid, they look vulnerable. Milan, they also have some issues. Mm -hmm. um, Olympiacos, they seem okay, but they're still more playable than Barcelona, in my opinion. Yeah, the best motivation for this Bayern Munich team is just to get some game rhythm, to use these games as practices, because they didn't have any practices. Uh, get some players back in shape. Exactly. Just to match fit, let's see. Because why Andrea Trinchieri was so mad when Dora Pantelli asked him this question about unexpected loss against Panathinaikos? He was mad because he didn't have any 5-on-5 five -five practice before that game. He just got some players after, you know, being eligible just to play game after going through medicals after COVID. I mean, it was a hell of a stretch for this Bayern Munich uh, club, and it was really, really another tough challenge for them. So that's why he was pissed. I mean, for some reason now, after what they did last year, we all think that it's a top eight lock. But with, with the roster, with the budget they have, with all these problems they have, I mean, th it's kind of a miracle that we have them uh, in, the, in the top eight. So, yeah, Andre Andrea was pretty 
pissed. The idea to have these live interviews with the losing team's coach and basically puts you in a difficult spot when Bayern Munich loses games because yeah. you never know what you're going to get from Trinkieri. You have to be very careful about the questions. Bayern was... They were very competitive with Barcelona this year. They lost both games, but they lost by eight in Munich and then only by five in Barcelona. Then I'm checking uh, Real Madrid, for example. They lost by four and they, they will still play them. And for Olympiacos, um, they lost by 10 and, and they lost by 23. Okay, so anyway, where I'm going to... What would you love to see the most for the you, you playoff matchups? I mean, to see some good drama, but at the same time, good competitive uh, playoff series. Good competitive playoff series, you say? Well, any series with Anadol FS involved will be competitive. Yeah. Um, I would like to see Monaco face Madrid. I would like to see Bayern Munich face Milan. Because of last year's series, which was crazy. And I want to see something again. Messina against Trinkieri. I would like to see FS going against Olympiacos. And Maccabi against Barca. Because I don't believe that Maccabi can beat any of these top four teams. So mm. either way, we will have one series, probably a sweep. So this is my that, that's why best, I want best idea. That's why I want Maccabi against Armani because I heard that James Nunnally talked some trash <laughs> during that game okay. they won. Uh, well, about Maccabi, we didn't say anything in yeah. this podcast. But and we were super wrong know, about them. We kind of ruled them out for granted. We were, yeah. Um, and they deserve credit. At home, they beat Milan, they beat Real Madrid. The, the comeback against Madrid was amazing. But, you know... I am not really sure that Avi Evan is already prepared to face these mastermind coaches in a best of five series. Uh, I, I saw, for example, Maccabi's game in Panathinaikos. It was the one that clinched the playoffs. It looked like G League basketball, honestly. There's enough talent in this Maccabi team. The way they play is still they're not a, a good little, momentum. It's we a little chaotic, but they are on a good momentum. Um, they have some players that I like. I love Derek Williams. I love Scotty Wilbekin, James Nunnally, another player that is performing very well this season. They have good centers. Mm, they're not a bad team, but when you're thinking about the playoffs, you're also thinking about the coaches. And I'm I'm still doubting. Is Avi Evan the man? Is he the get head coach for Maccabi? Maybe he's dealing good with the locker room, with the players, but in this in a series, you need tactical adjustments. You need to react quickly. Mm. A lot of things. For example, last year we saw a series with Traras and Chayo Pascual. It was like a chess game. I don't think Avi Evan is capable of playing chess with Traras, Barsocas, Lasso, and Messina. But they're capable of doing big things just because they're on very good stretch. They're one of two teams, uh, just like Monaco, they won four games in a row. That's the biggest uh, winning streak. And for example, neither Milan or Real Madrid, they're not in a very good momentum. So I think that that's their only hope, you know. Just but I just, don't see, I, I just don't see them winning against any of these top four teams. I mean... Me too, me too. Against some I'm of them, they might not be swept. They might have they some already good performances exceeded my. They already exceeded my expectations. Uh, so they're already very good. My idea of pairing this team was that the underdog might win. Mm. And for example, Monaco facing Real Madrid in Madrid's shape the yeah. way they are right now, 
I would bet on Monaco. Ah, okay. So this is why I want to see it. Um, and that's why I only pair Maccabi with Armani, just because yeah. of these off-the-court dramas. Last well, year we had three something. game fives, mm -hmm. but all the favorites won them. FS won, Barca won, Milan won. I want to see an upset this season in the playoffs. I want to see as many game fives as possible. And I actually want to see them. I don't want them to be on the same time <laughs> the way it was last year. So, yeah. Yeah, but and the Monaco is the team which probably has the highest ceiling to make that upset to any of these teams. Even Barcelona. I was looking for a matchup for Barca, and I thought that if anybody mm. can not match them, but just compete with them, I think it's it's just Monaco because you kind of cannot predict their ceiling against them. But when you have Real Madrid, and it's kind of very likely that, for example, Real, Real might finish second and they then they might face Monaco who are uh, seventh. Mm. So I would love to see this series because it would be intriguing. Even Lasso said that with the way they play right now, they would lose to anybody in, in the playoffs. Mm. So, And they also had very intriguing uh, regular season games, especially yeah. that in Monaco. Double overtime. Double overtime. The game in Madrid is, was also tough. So that's a... And of course, we agree that Anadol FS winning a series without the home court advantage is not an upset. They're the EuroLeague champions. Mm. It, it's, it's not an upset if they beat Armani... No, no, without no, no, the home no, court no, advantage. No, 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 no. No, of course. You cannot count that as an upset. But I, I believe that FS and Olympiacos would make great playoff series. Good, good quality basketball. We remember the last game yeah. in Preos, which was very competitive. Another overtime uh, game. And I mean, okay, FS, they are still inconsistent, but they improved. And Mitsu's injury is not very serious. He should be good for the I hope first so. Game I'm not so playoffs. sure about that. That's a good question. But I hope so. He should be ready. They announced like that he was out for two weeks, something like that. I don't remember, really. Yeah, and they barely won against Alba with, without Vasa Mitic. They needed Shane Larkin to put an amazing numbers in the second mm. half to win that game. Uh, but anyways, Anadol Efes, if everyone's healthy, they can be another fifth seed that wins the EuroLeague as it was with uh, Fenerbahce and Real Madrid in mm. the recent years. Yeah, and the reason why I have Bayern Barcelona is that because Trinkieri kind of reminds me of Xavi Pascal. He is kind of the mastermind from the the same shelf, you know? And I believe that he might make some surprises, some interesting moves to limit Nikola Mirotic, and then we would see how Barcelona would handle it. The problem is that, you know, Zenit, they had momentum last year. Uh, Bayern, as we already discussed, their situation is completely opposite. And I hope that in two weeks they will be better prepared for the playoff run. It's it's tough to expect anything from them. They Again, they're also uh, overachievers. And even if they take at least one win uh, in, in playoff series against Barcelona, it's uh, already a big, big achievement. But I like uh, Trinkieri and his tactical potential. I like Bayern team, what they went through, what kind of court they have. Uh, I like their roster, so... Uh, probably it wouldn't be very intriguing, but at least there's some potential to make some interesting things. Well, anyway, we're speculating a lot. <laughs> yeah. Next week we'll meet and we we will know. Yeah, we will have probably we will know unless Maccabi oh, situation. Right. Yeah. right. I mean, with all these postponements, I get lost in the schedule, honestly. And it was so weird having a a yearly game on Sunday. <laughs> I'm used to having my Sunday routine like this. Uh, I wake up quite late because what is quite I go late to sleep. for you? Uh, 
12 or, or 1 p.m. Okay. I watched the game that's on television at that moment. I mean, football game. Mm. It's usually like Italian, Serie A. Um, then I eat. I It's breakfast for me, although for normal people it's dinner. Um, then I go to work because I have Premier League on a 4 p.m. time slot. After that, I have one more game. It's either the Premier League or the Liga Endesa. And then I'm staying in the office because on 10.30, it's always NBA. Like last night, mm -hmm. it was Denver Nuggets uh, against the LA Lakers. But this time, my routine was so different because I had a EuroLeague game. Hey, it, you it, cannot it, it complain. Felt, it you felt cannot weird. Complain. I'm not that complaining. That was a hell of a game. I am yeah. not complaining. I'm just saying it felt weird yeah. because it's EuroLeague on Sunday. <laughs> But it was a great game. We didn't go to the arena, though. Uh, I was working from the studio because after th that, I had the NBA game, as I said. So uh, in the arena, it was better, but okay. I just hope we won't have any postponements or any other COVID outbreaks during the playoffs. Who ruined the playoffs for Fenerbahce, for example, last year. So Oof, that would be That's another terrible. game changer, which could add some you know, intrigue to this series, but we are not wishing anything like that to, to, to anybody. But yeah, you were right. We will meet again uh, one week later. We will probably have more likely playoff picture. And of course, we will discuss more in detail about all these top eight teams and potential playoff matchups. So that's all this time. Thank you, Ritis. Thank you all guys for watching us.